The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I'd like to start today by asking you a question. What do you do with your hurts? What do you do with your hurts and your wounds in your life? We all do something with them. A lot of us, uh, we, we just bury ourselves in busyness so that we don't have to think about our hurts. Other people, when, when they have real hurts or wounds, they, uh, they'll, they'll turn to alcohol or to substance abuse. Some people try to drink their hurts away. Some people try to shop their hurts away, right? Some people try to talk their hurts away. But whatever one of these things we try, once the shopping's done, or the talking's done, or the busyness is done, the hurt's still there. And it's almost like it's even bigger when we put it off like that. What do you do with your hurts when you're wrongly accused? When you're called names, when enemies hate you, when friends forsake you, when parents neglect you, what do you do with your hurts. Max Licato tells a true story of a woman named Victoria Ruvolo. Victoria lived in Long Island, New York, and one night she was driving home. She'd had a long day at work, and she'd gone to actually a recital where her niece had sang some songs, and she was driving home in her Honda. She was about a block away from her house when a teenager uh, who was trying to just do kind of a, a silly prank threw a frozen 20-pound turkey at her car. Well, it so happened that the way he threw the turkey, it smashed right through her front windshield. And because of the speed that she was going, bent her steering wheel, smashed into her face. She woke up a month later after having been in a coma with three titanium plates in her face, wire holding her jaw together, breathing tubes coming out of her throat. And now for the rest of her life, every time Victoria Rivolo passes a mirror, she's reminded of her hurt, a pain in her life. I wonder for you, what are the daily reminders of your hurt? The daily reminders of your pain. You, you try and bury it, but it, it, it floats back to the surface of your heart or of your mind. A couple weeks ago, I wrote a, an opinion column for Fox News. And in it, you know, I was trying to just inform curious readers that there's this new book about Jesus and you know, it's, it's not so much objective history like it claims to be. It's, I mean, it's literally in its message anti-Christ. That Jesus is not the Christ, that he never wanted to be. And so, you know, since God lets me write for some of these places, I thought, well, I should, you know, just write a thing letting Americans know that since this is the best-selling book in the country, you know, well, that piece ignited this kind of firestorm and... and in the wake of it, I've been called 
every name in the book. Uh, people thought I was coming after the author instead of the content of his work. And um, I've been called names I didn't know existed. And uh, you know, people have gone on to the Wikipedia profile about me where it where it says uh, John S. Dickerson is a nationally awarded journalist and, and changed it to John S. Dickerson is a nationally recognized bigot. And, and other, other journalists, national journalists, have, have likened me to the Nazis, that I want all non-Christian writers to have a gold star on their sleeve. And, and it hurts. So as I looked at Isaiah 40 and I thought, well, what's... What's the next in our list? There were two or three themes left, and this theme of forgiveness was one of them. And I thought, well, I don't know about the rest of the church, (laughs) but I need that one. I need God to help me forgive these people. And the reality is, I know that as raw as that is for me right now, Many of you have hurts in your lives that are far deeper, far more severe than being called some names on the internet. You've got hurts that go back to your childhood, hurts in your marriage, hurts that happened when your very identity was forming, hurts from parents who abandoned or abused you, from men who took advantage of you, from people who were prejudiced against you. We all have hurts, and the question is just, what will we do with them? And God brought you here today because he wants you to know that your hurts don't have to define you. That in the story of your life, the most important chapter doesn't have to be that hurt. The most important chapter can be the chapter of grace. Because grace is the only way to heal from how other people hurt us. And, And grace, the way it works out in our lives is through forgiveness. And when we get hurt by others, it's almost like this tumor, this wound that we carry around with us. And the only surgery that can get you free from that is, is the surgery of forgiveness. You say, but I don't. Why would I forgive that person? Well, stop thinking about that person for a moment and think about yourself. You're not going to hear me say that very often. Think about yourself. When, When you don't forgive that person, when you carry it around with you, then it starts to define your life. And you give that person, you give that situation a power over you that it doesn't have unless you give it that power. So today, um, you know, let's start with this big idea. Understanding God's forgiveness in Christ will change not only my eternity, it will also change my daily life. Hopefully you know that understanding God's forgiveness will change your eternity. If you call out to Christ to be your Savior and forgive you for your sins, it will change your eternal destination. From an eternity separated from God to an eternity with God. And a lot of times we end there. There's a whole lot more to God's forgiveness that as we let it soak into us and we just kind of like a sponge in a big 
pool of forgiveness, we, we just get saturated with it, it changes our daily life for the better. We're told in James 1, count it all joy when you come into different trials in your life. So these last couple weeks, you know, I, I've, been, I've been praying, God, how do I count this all joy? That, you know, there are newspapers calling me these names and stuff. How do I count this joy? And one of the things I realized is that, you know, I, um, I, I haven't experienced that kind of pain and hurt in, in quite a while. And one of the joys of it is that it has reminded me how deeply our sins against God pain him. We're told in scripture that, that our, our sins against him grieve him. That the ways that I've wronged God and the ways that I rebelled against God, they hurt him just the same way that I hurt when people wrong me. But the incredible thing about our God is this heart that he has of forgiveness. This, this heart that is displayed from Genesis when Adam and Eve turned their back on him all the way to Revelation. That he says, hey, everyone who will return to me, I will forgive you. Not only will I forgive you, I will take on myself the, the consequences of your mistakes. What an incredible heart our God has. And we see it today in Isaiah 40 in verse 2. In verse 2, God tells his people this, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned or forgiven, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. For a long time I thought, what is this double for all her sins? Does it mean like she had to go through the consequences of her sin once? And now she has to go through it again? I, I didn't think so. So I, I looked up that word double. Find out, you know, what, what does that word double mean? And, and the word literally means, it literally means to fold. Uh, and, and it was used of, of, of papers. And you know what I found as I, as, I, as I researched that word? They had mortgages back here. Can you believe it? They had mortgages. Now, there wasn't a Federal Reserve um, and there wasn't, you know, Fannie or Freddie, but there were lenders, you know, usually it would be a guy up the street or whatever, but there were lenders, there were mortgages, people would take out a loan to buy, you know, a field so they could start farming or to buy a little home and, and they would take out the loan and, and the loan would be written on a piece of paper and it would say, uh, so-and-so owes this amount to this person. And that paper would then be nailed to the doorpost of the home. Or in some cities, it would be nailed uh, where the city gates are. So everyone knows. It was public information how much you owed on your property and who you owed it to. And that would be there for everybody to see until it was paid off. Once it was paid off, and because anybody could see it, if there was some you know, generous benefactor, they could pay it off for you. Once it was paid off, the note would be folded on top of itself, and it would be nailed back into that wood. And, and it would be, that's what this word double means. She has received from the Lord's hand double 
for all her sins. He has, he has paid the price. He's folded the list of mistakes on top of itself. And he's nailed it back into the wood. The New Testament puts it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus Christ canceled the record of charges against it and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Isn't that an awesome verse? Jesus Christ, Colossians 2.14, canceled the record of charges against us, okay? So what's your list of mistakes? What's your list of embarrassing failures? What's your list of regrets? For some of us, it's like, you know, one of those Santa Claus movies, right? Where the, the scroll of, of uh, kids just keep, you know, it like kind of rolls out and keeps going. Some of us have a long list, Right? And Colossians 2.14 says, Jesus Christ canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That your record of charges against you, the moment you place your faith in Christ, it's folded in half, it's nailed to the cross, and what that means is it is paid. It is forgiven. For all of us who believe in Christ, Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus ever lives at the Father's right hand. And in, in the scars of Jesus' hands is eternal testimony that your mistakes have been paid for. The book of Revelation talks about Jesus returning to the earth and, and he's going to judge everybody, the living and the dead. And it says these books will be opened up, the books of humanity. And for all who've trusted in Christ, when it gets to your name, it's going to, you know, it's going to say paid in full. That, that your sins were paid for. So I want to give you five steps today to becoming a person who understands God's forgiveness, not only for your eternal salvation, but also in a way that changes your daily life for the better. And here's the first step, accept God's forgiveness. Have you accepted God's forgiveness? You can't give forgiveness to others until you've accepted it for yourself. Ephesians 6.23 says this, the wages, the payment of sin, and we've all sinned according to scripture, no matter, I mean, just all of us. The payment for that is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He puts it this way in Ephesians 2. By grace of God you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. Don't try and earn your way to God. It's a gift. So do you know with certainty that you've accepted that gift? Uh, you know, I mean, even if someone, you know, rolled up to your house with a, a brand new Ferrari and said, here's the keys, you'd have to accept it, right? Which would be really difficult to do, but you would have to. You'd just have to. And God in Scripture, he says, salvation, and, and this Jesus Christ message is so radical. You don't have to give money to a church. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to knock on doors. It is a free gift. And all you've got to do to accept it is get on your knees before God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. 
Jesus, I believe you died for me. Will you forgive me? And you accept his free gift of forgiveness. Second step, you learn to live in the freedom of God's forgiveness. See, accepting that free gift of forgiveness, when you do that, you're adopted into God's family. And a lot of us stop there. It's like, okay, good. Now, you know, when I leave this earth, when I die, I'm going to go be with the Lord. Awesome. Okay, well, that's a good start. But he still has you here for a reason. And the next step of understanding forgiveness is learning to live like someone who's forgiven. Learning to live in the freedom of God's forgiveness. Romans 8 puts it this way. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. This is a key moment in your maturity as a follower of Christ. When you start to get a mentality that sin no longer controls me. Sin no longer has to be the boss in my life. I don't have to fear it. When it comes knocking on my door and tempts me to lust or to be proud or to gossip or be hateful, I don't have to do what sin wants me to do anymore. Because when Christ forgave me, he says in his word, there were these chains around you and he broke them. He set them free. You're no longer a slave to that. I once edited a book for two counselors who work with young women who have have been slaves, who've been prostitutes, and they help to get these girls freed, and then these are the counselors who work with them to try and help them heal psychologically from the unthinkable abuse that they've suffered. And and the really sad thing as as I edited that book and read through it was I realized I learned... There's a lot. The majority of the girls who get out of this, they go right back to it. Why? Because they don't know anything else. They don't know any other way of life. They don't know what it is to live, you know, in a nice clean home with clean clothes and to... All they've ever known is that slave master, that pimp. And so even though they've been set free... After a while, they don't know what to do, and and they feel insecure, and so they go right back to that slave master. And I remember as I read that book thinking, what a picture of sin. I mean, what a picture of sin. Scripture says that when you come to Christ for forgiveness, you're set free. It no longer has any power over you, but so many of us Go back to it because it's comfortable, right? It's what we know when we're hurting, when we're lonely, when we're confused. We don't know where else to go. But that old thing, it was there when we were hurt and lonely and confused. And so we go back to it. And part of understanding your forgiveness in Christ is that that thing doesn't own you anymore. You're not obligated to it anymore. And so I want to encourage you to choose to believe this about yourself. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying be perfect. If you ever mess up, you clearly don't understand forgiveness. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can have a mentality of life that when that old sin comes a-knocking, you know it, it doesn't have any power over you unless you run back into its arms. 
And for me, that made such a difference in my life when I realized, okay, that thing's still going to come knocking, but when it does, it doesn't have any power over me. It, 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 here, here's how Romans 6 puts it. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we'd no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, um, if you're at a funeral where there's a casket, the person in that casket is not tempted to lie. The person in that casket is not tempted to lust. Because once you're dead, you're free from sin. And what Paul's saying is, when Jesus died on the cross for you, your sin nature died with him. So you can be as dead to sin as someone who's physically dead, but if you still think that sin runs the show and controls you, then you're going to act like it does. So here's what I'm saying. This is a step of understanding God's forgiveness. When you do mess up, because you will, okay? Please don't hear me saying, go out there and be perfect. I mean, you, you know, try to live this new life in Christ. But when you mess up, if you think sin is your master, then it's like, oh, game over. You know, I looked once, I might as well just dive back in because this thing enslaved me. Or I took one drink, I might as well just game over, I'll just be an alcoholic because that thing owns me. But, but being forgiven means it doesn't own you anymore. So when you stumble, not if, but when you stumble back into that old way of life, Back into that eating disorder. Back into finding your identity and what people think of you. Back into greed. Back into jealousy. Back into gossiping. Back into bitterness. You stumble back into it. Understanding forgiveness says, okay, I, I went back to that old master, but it doesn't have any power over me. I'm just going to walk away from it. And in Christ, you can. I better get on to the next point. I'm making that one into a whole sermon here. So here's my question. Is there, a, is there a sin struggle in your life right now where you need to take this step of forgiveness that says, that thing doesn't have any power over me anymore. It only has the power that I've given to it. And in Christ, I'm dead to it. And I'm going to turn my back and I'm going to walk away from it. And in the future, when I stumble, I'm not going to beat myself up with guilt and shame that drive me further into that unhealthy sin. I'm going to remember grace and forgiveness, and I'm going to turn my back on it, and I'm going to walk in this new life that Christ has for me. 1 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone away. The new has come. While we're down here, we're, we're going to stumble in the old. But understanding forgiveness says, when I do, I just get right back up and I get on with my new life. Here's the next step of understanding forgiveness. You start to see yourself through the lens of God's forgiveness. When you look at yourself in the mirror, do you see somebody who's forgiven? You know the verse when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished. Do you realize that kind of like that mortgage that was folded in half, that that's a financial term, and it means paid in full. As Jesus hung on the cross in that moment, he said, Father, it's paid in full. When you look in the mirror, do you see somebody whose every mistake, whose every embarrassing moment, whose every flaw and mess up is paid for, completely 
paid for. Do you see yourself that way? And if you don't, just ask God today, God, I want to see myself the way you see me. I want to see myself as forgiven, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me at the cross. Romans 8 puts it this way, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, some of you today, there's part of getting God's forgiveness for you so that you can give it to others is forgiving yourself. That might sound a little self-helpy, but it's, it's part of this thing. It's part of starting to see yourself the way that God sees you. And it's faith, it's trusting that Christ is so big That when scripture says, though our sins were like scarlet, he has washed them white as snow, that that includes your mistakes. And Jesus is big enough, and his sacrifice was big enough to cover over and wash away every one of your mistakes. Every one of my mistakes. 1 John 1, 7 tells us this, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, from all sin. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote this about that verse. He says, cleanses means a present tense cleansing. It's not a future cleansing that, you know, if you work hard enough, if you grow enough as a Christian, someday your sins will all be cleansed. It says the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us, is constantly washing away every one of our mistakes. What a difference that makes in our lives if we can look in the mirror and see ourselves as forgiven, see our spouse as forgiven, see our kids as forgiven. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it's fully paid, paid in full. Next step, adopt Christ's heart to forgive those who wrong you. You cannot take this step without taking steps one through three. If you haven't accepted Christ's forgiveness for yourself, if you don't know the freedom that it brings, if you don't see yourself the way God now sees you as washed in the blood of the Lamb, then you're not going to be able to forgive others the way that Jesus does. I mean, imagine this. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive that man who just nailed a nail through my hand. Forgive the guy with the whip who took the skin off my back. Forgive the jealous religious leaders who set all this up because they felt intimidated. Forgive the political leader who knew that it was unjust but looked the other way because he didn't want to revolt. Forgive my disciples who ran away. Forgive the crowd that one week ago was chanting Hosanna and is now chanting crucify him. Sometimes I've shared this verse with people and they say, well, Jesus says forgive them. They know not what they do, but the person who wronged me knew what he or she was doing. Well, didn't the people who were crucifying Jesus know they were crucifying Jesus? So when Jesus says they know not what they do, 
He's not saying they don't realize they're crucifying me. I think what he's saying is, if they actually knew who I was, if they could be transported through time to that moment in future history when the whole tribes and tongues and nations of the world are going to gather around Jesus and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain, and everyone's bowing before him and worshiping him, if they could see that, they wouldn't be doing this. Grace is an awareness that no matter how intentional or hostile someone is when they wrong you, that they're blinded by sin and they're a slave to sin. And grace says, even though they think they know what they're doing to me, Jesus, if they could actually see who you are, if they could see spiritual reality for what it is, but they can't. So, Father, forgive them. Jack loves playing in our backyard, and especially barefoot. He always is barefoot out there. No matter how hard I try and keep sandals on his feet. So now I just let him leave them inside. Because if he takes them outside, then they're lost somewhere. And then he'll come in, and we'll have bath time. And sometimes after we're done with the bath, the water is like this, you know, varying shades of brown to black, depending on what kind of dirt he was playing in. Don't forget, after Jesus washed your sins, yes, you're totally clean. Sometimes we have to remember how dirty that water was so that when we see other people who are caked in mud, we don't act like we're something better. So we're not. We've just been washed. And that's why we're here on this earth now is to give them grace so they can be washed. So here's the final step of this process. You become a conduit of Christ's forgiveness for others. We bought a new garden hose a little while ago. And, you know, we got into the backyard, and I, I went to, to water some stuff, and no water came out of the hose. I mean, it was a perfectly good garden hose. Right? Because I had not hooked it up to the faucet. <laughs> right? And, and this is the way hoses work. Hoses cannot generate water. All they can do is be a conduit of it. And when it comes to this kind of forgiveness... You cannot generate it in yourself. But you can be a garden hose for Jesus, you know. <laughs> you can be a conduit that connects people who are far, far away from him to the, the living water. And from you, they get a little taste of this supernatural, unreal, unhuman forgiveness and grace. Remember Victoria Rivolo, the woman whose face was crushed by that crazy prank from that teenager? Well, the day came when Victoria sat in a courtroom, and there, also in the courtroom, was Ryan Cushing, 
The boy who had been 17 but now was an adult and was being tried as an adult for his crime and the prosecutors had built an ironclad case against Ryan Cushing. It was clear he had done this. He had caused this unthinkable pain to this woman. And that day as they sat in that courtroom, the judge read the sentence for Ryan Cushing and it seemed... It seems so unjust. Just a few months of probation, a little bit of counseling, and he'd be off the hook. And the courtroom was in this uproar, just aghast at this injustice. And it was then that Victoria Ravolo stood up and made her way over to Ryan. You see, Victoria had gone to the judge and she had asked him to give this young man the smallest sentence allowable under the law. She made her way over to Ryan who was sobbing and she wrapped her arms around him. And loud enough for the entire courtroom to hear as he sobbed, she said, I forgive you. I want you to have the best life you can have. Victoria could have held on to that pain for the rest of her life, couldn't she? Every day she could have woken up and redefined herself by that pain. Instead, she chose to let go of it. She chose to give a supernatural, divine forgiveness. And as a result, now if you Google her name and read interviews with her now, she's a very happy person. She's not a person who's weighed down by bitterness. And incidentally, Ryan, who was on a pretty bad path for his life, and that mistake could have defined his life as a criminal, Instead, because of that forgiveness, now Ryan's turning out to be a pretty decent guy. And they know each other and they talk on the phone. God has left us on this earth to be conduits of his forgiveness. To people who will wrong us. Who will abuse us. Who will mistake our motives. Who will call us names. And here's why God says we're here. 2 Corinthians 5. All of this, our forgiveness in Christ, is a gift from God. God who brought us back to himself through Christ. This is God's heart to bring people back to himself. And God now has given us this task to reconcile people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is that moment when Victoria walks over to the, the, the man who could have ruined her life and puts her arms around him and says, I forgive you. That's what reconciliation is. And, and, and God tells us, so now... We're here as Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to the world through who? Through us. There's no one else who's going to tell the world that God is saying to them, 
come back. Come back. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to pray. And as we do, I just want to ask you, where are you on, in this, these five things? Are you today at that place where you just need to accept Christ's forgiveness for yourself? Are you at that place where you need to see yourself as forgiven? And who is it in your life that needs some of this extravagant grace, undeserved forgiveness? And you can't create it for him, but you can be a conduit of Christ's forgiveness through you to them. Would you stand and pray together with me, Father? Lord, you see every one of our hearts in here. And Lord, I I know there are just deep, deep wounds in here that I cannot understand. But Lord, you know them and you feel them and you weep with those who weep. And right now, Lord, I pray that you would just wrap your arms around men and women in this room who are hurting because unjust and, and terrible things have been done to them, said to them. Lord, we look to you as our healer. And right now we come to you and, and Lord, we accept your full forgiveness for ourselves. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your words. It is finished and that our mistakes are paid in full. And God, would you make us a people who see ourselves that way? see ourselves as washed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, folks in here who need to forgive themselves, folks in here who are living under a a lie of guilt and shame, that there's no condemnation for them because of Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, wash those things away. Open eyes. Let us live as people who are fully forgiven and free, sons and daughters of the King. And, Lord, you've left us on this earth Not to look out for ourselves, but to be agents who take your message of grace to people who are far from you. So God, right now, in so many of our lives, there are specific people who need that forgiveness. And Lord, we cannot forgive them in our strength. But right now, would you give us the grace to be a conduit of your forgiveness? that your extravagant grace at the cross would flow through our lives to the people who wrong us and who hurt us. Lord, for some in here, it might even mean a phone call or a letter that just says, I I need you to know I forgive you. For some, it might mean coming up to the front here at the end, praying with a prayer partner. Jesus, make us a people who are defined by your grace, that we would see ourselves, that we would see everyone around us, that we would see this lost and broken world with your eyes, that we would love our persecutors, that we would love our enemies, and we pray for them. Father, bring them, bring them back to you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.